heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. Open my heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Give a hug, big old hug to your neighbor there. Let them know that they that you love them and appreciate them and care about them. Austin disappears, so somebody hug him unless she feels lonely over there. All right. All right. Brother Ryan, did you get a hug? Somebody hug you, brother? All right. Brother Ryan sitting over by himself. Somebody hug him. All right. Glad you're here today. We're launching into uh, session number two on Elijah. I'm, I, I enjoyed last week. Hope you did. Today's going to be even more fun. One of my most favorite stories in the Bible is uh, I want to talk to you about today. Because it is awesome. But the one thing I want you to know more than anything that is so important, there's something that's so important to God, and I want you to know about it. Above every, anything else in our lives, God wants to have all of our hearts. He wants to have it. Our worship, our focus, our adoration. And God wants to be number one and have everything that's in your heart. He wants to have it. He wants your heart. The very first of the Ten Commandments, God says, You shall have no other gods before me. When Jesus was quizzed about that, what was the greatest commandment? Jesus himself said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God wants all of our hearts, not just parts of our hearts. And it's really for good reason. If you were Satan, what would you try to do in the hearts of God's people? Turn them away from him, right? He's pretty crafty. But the most amazing part of that statement is that he's still doing that and has been doing that ever since he was kicked out of heaven. And so you and I need to be about the business of getting our hearts right with God. We need to quit putting false gods in the place of the one true God. That's called the sin of, of idolatry. And here today is your key thought. False gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods provide only what the or promise, I should say, false gods promise only what the true God provides. Well, that's a great statement, isn't it? Let me give you an example. How about money? Money is a pretty popular false god. How do I know? Look at your 401k that's now a 201k. <laughs> or maybe a one k <laughs> People were, you know, I, I was, uh, I substitute teach at the school some. I was talking to the substitute coordinator uh, a few weeks ago, and she said she has more substitutes than she's ever had. In fact, she doesn't have enough classes to fill for all the subs. It used to be the other way around. Not enough subs to go around, but now there's too many. And she said they're mainly senior citizens whose income has been cut, whose Retirements have been cut, so they've got to go back and begin to supplement their salaries or their income. So they're substitute teaching. And that's awesome. That is awesome. But a lot of people put their 
happiness and their security in money. What the reality is, once you get enough money, you think, I'm good to go. You go to the doctor, and he says, you have cancer, and you're going to die in 30 days. You quickly find out that that money won't buy you health. All of a sudden, you've worked, and you've made all this money, and boy, you've got all the, all the stuff. Only to have your kids, you lose your kids, there's no amount of money that can restore those kids. But boy, we keep pursuing because we've got to have, got to have, got to have, got to have, got to have. And we just think that money and money, 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 money. Don and Pat just came back from a trip. And I understand they, Don went to make a, uh, transfer some American dollars into some foreign currency. It was, you took them amount and it was half of that, what they gave you back. So that's how, that's how much our dollars fallen in the world market. So if you're going to put your hope in that. We're in trouble, aren't we? We're in trouble. In the, it, it's a, money is a false promise. It's a false God. And it promises something that it does not provide. In the life of Elijah, he walks into the midst of people living idolatrous lives. They are worshiping and serving false gods. In fact, if you missed last week, let me kind of give you some catch up here. Elijah was called by God to confront a very evil king. And remember what his name was? Ahab. And he's married to this wonderful woman. I mean, a peach of a gal. And her name was? Yeah, there's no peach there. <laughs> you, ever, you ever heard of a girl named Jezebel in your life? There's a reason. They're evil. If you, if you run onto a girl named Jezebel, don't marry her. Man, don't even go out with her. Car fall apart, your world, your world collapses. It's horrible. But he he's in there, and, and Ahab is the nineteenth consecutive evil king that Israel has had. Scripture says that he did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone before him. So he's the worst of worst. He had, and the worst thing that he had done is that he had he was continuing to turn the hearts of the people away from the one true God toward the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal was the sun god, the fire god. <laughs> Asherah was that god like Baal's wife. Very sensual in, in its nature. I'm trying to think how I can say that without getting in too much trouble. But these people were worshiping these false gods. And, and the false gods promised, if you worship me, we'll make your crops grow. If you worship me, then, then you'll have a better life. False gods promise what only the true God provides. God raises up Elijah, confronts the king. He says, because of your idolatry, God sent me to tell you that it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and ask it to rain. So, major drought. Tons of people die. It's famine. It's the most major drought they've ever seen. It, 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 it's a thing that if you could only imagine that how, how terrible it was. And so God sends Elijah into this period. And then He sends him off and hides him to prepare him for what's going to happen in today's message. If you were here last week, 
Elijah would say, hey, look, you go hunt down, you go hunt down Elijah. Ahab said that. He said, you hunt down Elijah. If you find him, kill him on the spot. But God sends him into this Kareth ravine, remember? And Kareth means the place of cutting or cutting down. It's, it's a place of humbling where God humbled him and developed him into an even stronger man of God. God fed him by the ravens in the morning and in the evening. And he had a brook running through that ravine. And that's where he got his drinking water. And he was out there hid. And the ravens, when they would come, it, it caused, remember the little visual I had? The ravens fly in and they fly out. The children of Israel looked at ravens and they were deaf. And they wouldn't go where death was. And so where these ravens were huddled up in the morning and in the evening, they wouldn't go out there because they knew death was there. And it, was a, it would be an unclean place for them to go. And yet God, in the midst of that uncleanness, had Elijah. And he had him and he was preparing him, remember? Then the brook dries up and he says, I want you to go down to Zarephath and there you'll find a widow and God is going to provide through this widow. She only had a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. She was going to make one loaf of bread and she and her son, they were going to eat it and die because that's all they had. And somehow, miraculously, as long as Elijah was there, she never ran out. She never ran out. That's a God thing, isn't it? God does that all the time. And this growing man of faith. Remember later on in the story, her son dies. And so he goes into the upper room and he prays, God, you can, you can raise this boy from the dead. And boom, God does it. And in the last verse in 17, God tells him to go into hiding. And then God wants him to go and confront the evil king. And this is where we kind of pick up our story in chapter 18. In verses 17 and 18, he says, When Ahab saw Elijah, now he'd have people looking for him, right? So Ahab sees him, he says to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Oh, I love this. That word in the Hebrew, troubler, is the same word that can be translated snake or viper. So Elijah is called by Ahab, the evil king, you old snake. <laughs> I've wanted to call a few people you old snake in the last week or so, haven't you? Yeah, we'll leave it at that. All right. Praise God. But Elijah says, I'm not taking any of that from you he goes into verse 18 and he says no i've not made troubles for you but you and your families your father's family have done that you abandoned the lord's command and you started to follow the Baals. you've committed that sin of idolatry you are putting false gods ahead of the one true god and elijah was confronting the very popular idea that there are many gods there's a couple of words i learned when i was in bible college Good Bible preacher words. Monotheism and polytheism. I love to just throw those out every now and then so people go, whoa, he's really got an education, doesn't he? Yeah, you hear me. How often do I use them? I think this is the first time in 15 years I've used these words. What is monotheism? Well, it's the belief that there is one God. And we Christians are monotheistic. We believe that there is one true God. Can I get an amen? amen? Awesome. Now, polytheistic. And polytheism, what is that? 
It's the belief that there are multiple gods. And Elijah was confronting this very polytheistic culture where they would worship multiple gods. And those of you who are Christians, you would say, well, we're monotheistic. Come on, preacher, we're monotheistic. We believe in one true God. But even though we believe in one true God, we behave as though we're polytheistic. Uh-oh. Hmm. You see, though we don't worship false gods called Baal and Asherah, in reality, false gods today are worshipped in a much more socially acceptable way. I mean, let's be honest. People worship the false gods of money. The false gods of material possessions. The false god of your image. How good you look. Your favorite sport. Now, I almost didn't put that one in there. I did that same thing. I went, okay, I got to put that one in there. How about your career, your hobby? Ooh, I'm going to throw one at you. It's going to throw you, throw you down. Your children. Now, preacher, what's wrong with loving my kids? Not a thing's wrong with loving them. But when you put anything in the place of God, hello. Or we say we're monotheistic, but we act polytheistic. What are false gods that you're facing? What are the false gods that are in front of you? And I really want you to be honest about that. We're monotheistic in our beliefs, but our practices are often polytheistic. So Elijah the prophet steps into this culture, polytheistic culture, and he makes a very prophetic and a very strong statement. He, he looks at them and they're going back and forth. And he says, with all authority, he says, people, it's time to quit wavering. People, quit wavering. Quit wavering between your gods. Quit going back and forth. It's time to stop. And so he's going to have this good old-fashioned showdown with these polytheistic people in this culture. We pick it up at at verse 19. Let's see what he says. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And bring the 150 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Sidebar, that's a huge table. (laughs) So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people. Let's Let's hold it right there. He calls them out. He said, I want you to bring these prophets. 400, how many is he bringing out there? 450 prophets of Baal and 400 of the others. So he's got 850 prophets he's taken up to the mountaintop. There's a whole lot of people now. Almost as many as it was at that Kansas City Chiefs game last week when the Cowboys <laughs> took them down. Aaron Hurd's crying on his way out to the parking lot. Don Baker is rejoicing in God that he's been there. See, Don's first NFL game, and he sees the Cowboys pull it out in overtime. That a boy. He said, we were, he said we were in a section where I, I didn't know who was actually playing down there. 
It's that false God thing I was talking about earlier. You see how easily we get sidetracked. But he's telling them, quit wavering. Quit wavering. Elijah went before the people. Starts to tell them, how long will you do this? How long will you do this? You know, and it's kind of like us. We say, you know, God, I, I want you to keep me out of hell, but I don't necessarily want to be obedient to you to do what I have to do to get to heaven. You know, I'll go to the, well, I'll go to the baptism. I'll do that. I, I got you. Okay, I've done that. Now, now. But you, you want me to do what? You want me to give outside myself? You want me to be generous? You want me to, to serve? You want me to teach? You want me to lead people to Christ? What? You want me to open the Bible and read every day? What? You want me to develop some depth in my prayer life so it's more than just, God, thank you for our food, amen? You mean you, you want me to quit cussing when I'm at a football game? Well, I got to go to the TU the other day. TU game on Wednesday night. We had a great time. What a great time. I am a spoiled football attendee. I had to walk six and a half blocks. I'm used to being let off at the gate, taken inside the field. I don't have to go in. What do I walk, climb, what? Who are these people sitting next to me? I'm not used to that. I'm used to the lifestyle that I've grown accustomed to. But I loved it. In the misting rain, we're all sitting up there huddled up like a bunch of birds. <laughs> Screaming and yelling. It's awesome. Walking in, the guy saw my jinx jacket and he goes, yeah, cheaters. I agreed with him. I said, yeah, we are. Where are you from? He said, Union. I said, I know y'all don't do that. Take a side. Quit wavering. Oh God, I want I want all that that I can have with heaven, but I don't want to do whatever it takes to get there. I I want you to bless me, but with all the good things. But I don't want to necessarily stop my bad things. Quit being a Christian on Sunday and a heathen on Monday. Quit claiming Christ and living like you don't know Him. Quit wanting the benefits and being unwilling to sacrifice. Quit wavering. Elijah would tell us, take a side. I'm trying to conceptualize Elijah's message. Honestly, he's saying, hey, if Baal's got you, then go all out. Go all out. If you're false God with a little g, whatever it is, sell out to it. If it's money, what is holding you back? Get yourself so far in debt that you can't even see past your eyeballs. Come on. If that's, what it, if that's your God, go for it. Don't sit there and dabble at it. Go for it. If it's possessions, what's holding you up? How come you don't have a $50,000 car? What's wrong with that about $50,000 car? So your car payment is going to be 6.5%. And your car payment is going to be what? Seven, $800 a month? So what? It's got the right letters on the front. Yeah. I'm enjoying Cindy's new car. Not new. Two years old, but I'm enjoying it. Got heated seats in it, and I needed them last night. It was cold outside. It was in the 40s, and I got in there, turned that heated seat on. I go, ah. And in the summertime, it's air-conditioned seats. I'm going, ah. And she only lets me ride in it. I don't get to drive it. I just get to ride in it. She says, get back to your truck. And I said, all right. 
You know, but it, but it, I mean, if we're we're into this thing, if that little God that we've got going on in our life, let's just sell all out to it. Let's don't disqualify it. Let's go after it. Let's go. Hey, if it's if it's something to do with adultery, don't let marriage stand in your way. What's wrong with you people? You see somebody at work, you want to cultivate the relationship, get on with it. If that's your God, if sensual things are your God, go for it. How? Multi-billion dollar industry is the porn industry. Still is. In fact, I read an article last week that on one of the major college campuses back east, the student proposed having a pornographic uh, presentation within the class and then discuss the ramifications of that pornographic experience. And the school said, go for it. And so the porn industry said, we'll provide you all you need. So here they come. So they sat through the whole hour and a half class watching porn and then talking about it. Go for it if that's, if that's your God. Maybe it's your, maybe it's your looks. Maybe it's your looks. I mean, you, you're going to go to the gym. You're going to work out. You're going to work out. You're going to work out. You're going to, I can't, can't get enough. I can't get enough burn. I can't get enough of that. I just got to look at it and I start burning. Come on. That's why I get in the swimming pool, because that way if I catch on fire, I, you know, I can get myself put out. But you, you know what I'm talking about, them guys, that they'll, li- they'll look at themselves in the mirror. <laughs> you know, you've got them. They get on the treadmill, and they're running. I mean, golly, ah, for what? For what? I'm going to die of a heart attack, running, working out so hard. Now, I'm not saying exercise is wrong. Don't get me there. But you know, understand what? sometimes it's their God, isn't it? For some people, that's their God. That is the thing that they do over anything else. Everything else pales in significance. Everything else gets put on hold except that almighty God that I follow. But we ask you to do things at church. We ask you to get involved at church. Oh, man, I just don't have time. I'm just so busy. Pursuing your little God. Pursuing your little God. Look at verse verse 20. Well, how long... Will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. And what did the people do? (laughs) Look at that. Look at that. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. If Baal is God, follow Him. And the people said nothing. It's the same thing that's going on in the church today. Don't follow Him. Don't bring people to church with you because then you're going to be accountable for your lifestyle. Uh Uh-oh. Gone from preaching to meddling now. Ooh. Verse 26. Yeah? Is that on? Uh, Here we go. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire. He's what? Then all the people said... What you say is good. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till how long? Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. I love this section. I love this section. (laughs) He's telling them, bring out the bull. Bring me one. Bring you guys one. You guys prepared. I'm going to prepare mine. Hey, we're going to get this thing going. And they start yelling at their Baal God. From morning, which is 6 a.m., till noon, for six hours, 
They yelled and screamed. And there's 850, right? 850 of them, they yelled and screamed. That's pretty loud. They're on this side of the Mount Carmel. And up on the other side, up at the top, there's the altar and who? Elijah. Elijah and then the 850 prophets. Are you getting a picture of this? So it's noon. And verse 20, 27, you guys see this. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. And what did he say? <laughs> you know what taunting is, don't you? It's a penalty. You know what taunting is? Yeah. What that Texas guy did to our OU guy yesterday. Knocked him down. Flag comes flying. You can't taunt him. In other words, nah, 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 nah. you can't do that. How dare you? What's wrong with you? Be civilized while I knock your head off. I can't taunt you. But he does. He stands before those 850 and he goes, Hey, shout louder. Maybe you'll hear you. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. <laughs> is, he not, is he not going after these prophets? I love it. I love it. So it's noontime. He's beginning to say, hey, shout louder. Come on. Surely he's God. Perhaps he's deep in thought. He's on vacation. Maybe he's sitting back with his milks and cookies and watching TV. If, if he was living today. Maybe he's taking a nap. But here's what's really, really funny. The phrase in the Hebrew, go back to that, that verse, brother. It says busy or busy. In the Hebrew, the translation of the word busy is he's relieving himself. I'm not joking. Look it up. Perhaps he's deep in thought or he's sitting on a toilet. I love it. Don't you love it? God has such a great sense of humor, doesn't he? I hear women say all the time, well, where's your husband? He's on the throne. And then you'll talk to men. Why do you spend so long in the bathroom? Well, well it's time to get my reading done. Reading? Are you with me? Oh, this is awesome. It's hard to even keep a straight face when you, when you really understand what he's saying to him. But then we pick it up. Tawny goes on. We pick it up. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. My granddaughter Kelsey has a longer attention span than I do. I know. She does. She really does. I'm sitting in my chair, and I go into a posture of prayer very quickly. I do. She can be talking to me, and I'm already asleep. It drives my little wife crazy, because I'll climb into bed, and I'll say, Baby, I love you, and I'll kiss her on the head, and then I'll, I'll scoot back over to my side, and she'll turn to ask me a question too late. I'm gone. And she goes, I just aggravates me. I said, well, it's because you have a guilty conscience, and I don't. 
Okay, I'll keep preaching. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Let, let's keep reading these verses up here. 28 through 35. And at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Oh, well, I, before, I go, uh, before we go. To, so he's taunted him. Nothing's happened, by the way. Nothing has happened. Now, in preparation for this, Elijah has servants carry water and begin to pour water on the altar. Now, they pour water. So they, he dug a trench around the outside of it. So they poured so much water that the trench filled up and began to run over the side of the trench. So what happens when you pour water, that much water, on wood? Any of you hunters? and It's wet. It, it won't burn, right? Good luck. It won't burn. So they've got water all over this thing. Now we're here. Elijah steps forward and does what? Did he yell? Did he dance? Oh, by the way, they began to dance also before this. They weren't getting anything with yelling and screaming at Baal, so they began to dance and cut themselves. <laughs> that always helps to bleed on something, doesn't it? So they're cutting themselves. <laughs> All over this altar. Nothing's happening. Not a thing's happening. And this Baal is the God of fire. So he prays. Here's what he prays. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that what? In Israel and that what? And have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you. We're going to look next week at the faith of Elijah and his prayer life and how awesome it was and what we can learn from it and apply it in our lives. They used to worship you, but these false gods have taken your place, O oh God. Turn their hearts back again. Wow. Can you see passion in Him? Can you see commitment in Him? Had He not been in the Kirith Ravine, He wouldn't be ready to stand before 850 prophets of Baal and make these statements. So you've got to go through your time of preparation in order to, for your time of delivery. <laughs> he prays. Verse 38. Then what happened? The fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. <laughs> <laughs> so he prays, fire from heaven, zoom, and it hits that altar. Boom, that thing is consumed. Boom, all the water's gone. And boom, he's standing back going. And what did the 850 prophets do? You know how the cartoon has the chin that hits the ground? <laughs> That's what they did. All of them. <laughs> their God, who's the God of fire, put quotations and mark around. He did nothing. Our God consumes it with fire, licks up the water in the trench, altar's gone. They step back and go, 
little smoke thing. <laughs> Are you with me? Whew. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And the people, the people saw this. And what did they do? They fell prostrate and, and, and called and cried out, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let's say it together. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They began to cry that out as they laid prone on the ground. And that's my prayer for you as a church, is that you will learn that He is God. And there's not a thing in your life that should and would and could take His place. May you, may I, may we all learn this valuable, valuable lesson from our prophet Elijah today. The false gods, they will fall away in comparison to the one true God. Our hearts would be turned back to Him and we would say, Lord, You're God. Lord, He is God. Why doesn't God do stuff like this today? Wouldn't it be awesome for God to just do that? To just fire come down from heaven and just boom, just, just consume stuff? Wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> Sometimes He does it through tornadoes. He'll just wipe stuff out. Gone. Thunderstorms. Fires. But you know it's not attributed to God. Why? Because we don't have prophets crying about it in the wilderness. Maybe the preachers have too many false gods in their life. And we need to put God back on the throne. Let's all pray together. God, I would ask you to pierce us. Pierce us with that question. And this question of are you Lord or not? Do we need to get off the throne and out of the way or do we just need to keep playing the games we're playing? As we continue to reflect in prayer, I, I want to ask you a few things. Are you wavering? Do you have idols in the place of your holy God? I know I have, and I'm convicted and I'm repentant. And if you would say quite honestly, yeah, preacher, there's some things in my life that uh, I'm not giving honor to God with, and I need to repent of that sin of idolatry. I want to quit wavering. I want to serve Him with all of my heart. I want you to think about whatever that is and, and I want you to give it to Him right now. I want you to say, God, I confess this, that to You. Please forgive me. I'm repentant today of the sin of idolatry. God, I pray that You give us eyes to see all the different areas of our lives that we've let sin break Your heart. And so, God, we confess those sins to you and we ask you to cleanse us. We recognize that we don't have the ability to overcome the sin of idolatry ourselves. We ask that you would be so great 
so merciful, so gracious. God, that You would reveal Yourself by fire before us, and I pray that that fire will be the Holy Spirit that comes and is so real to us right now that we fall in worship and love and serve You with all of our hearts, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. And there are people today, Lord, in this room who, what I would call nominal Christians, Christians who say they talk about You and they say they love You, and yet they really don't. They've got other stuff in front of you. They say, well, you know, I'm a good person. I contribute to society. I, I try not to do bad things. I go to church uh, occasionally. I, I put a little bit of money in the plate. I, I know it's not what I should be putting, but I put a little bit in there. You're not seeking God through Scripture for direction. You're not praying about how to be wise stewards of what God gives you. Christianity hasn't changed the way you handle money and material possessions and anger and sexual lust and on and on and on. Nominal Christian, you're wavering. You may believe in a monotheistic God, but you live a polytheistic way. God, I would ask them to quit wavering. Surrender to, the, to your Lordship. Surrender that polytheistic way. Quit wavering. Don't be kind of, sort of, maybe in... Be all in, full-blown in, not halfway, not on the fence, but full-on for Christ. Some might even say, you know, preacher, I'm not even close. But there's something that's going on in me today. The words I'm hearing today, the, the, the Spirit is prompting me today. I want to come clean. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not clean enough. But God, you're drawing me. You're drawing me. And so I would say, let that Holy Spirit continue to prick you, to prompt you, because none of us are worthy. We're all sinners in need of God's grace. As you reach over and take the hand of the one closest to you, maybe you would, maybe you would pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe you, that you're the Son of God who died for me, rose again to introduce me to the one true God. Would you be my Savior today? I want to put you on the throne. I want to put you back on the throne. I want to belong to you. I have been purchased by your shed blood. Take all of my life, and from this point forward, I'm yours. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me, for forgiving me, for caring for me. In Jesus' name, amen. You prayed that prayer. You need to make an outward decision of some kind. Now's your time. Let's stand and sing together. Thank you.